This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Greg Olson, and I'm thrilled to introduce my new podcast, TE1. TE1 will chronicle a 60-year evolution of the tight end position. From its origins as an obscure, overlooked blocking role to the versatile superstar position that it is today. I'll explore the evolution of the position through conversations with some of the all-time game-changing tight ends. And just like the incredible tight ends we sit down with on my new show, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. This truck is all about grit, strength, and dependability. The same attributes it takes to be a tight end. Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hustle presented by Event Dynamic. Event Dynamic specializes in maximizing revenue and increasing attendance. I'm Travis Apple and I'll be your host of this podcast. I've been fortunate to spend my entire career in the sports sales industry and I wanted the opportunity to give back. To give back to not only those individuals that want to get into this business, but for those individuals that are in this business that want to continue to excel at an elite level. For those of you who know me, hustle has always been important, hence the name each week, I'm going to have the opportunity to sit down with industry professionals to talk about their career path, what it takes to be successful, and ultimately a few key takeaways for you to apply to your everyday. Without further ado, our guest this week. This individual grew up in Australia, worked at several sports leagues in Australia, moved to the United States, and is now helping pave the way for female executives in the sports industry as she is now the Senior Vice President of Revenue and Strategy for the Philadelphia Eagles, Catherine Carlson. Catherine, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you, Travis. We appreciate uh, having this opportunity. No, absolutely. Well, Catherine, you've certainly taken an interesting path and a fun journey to get to where you are at today. So let's start from the top. You know, you're born and raised in Australia, you received your bachelor's degree at Deakin University in Australia in sports management. And I guess as you look at that now being in the United States, how would you say a sports management degree in Australia is either similar or different than one in the U.S.? Well, I think they're fairly uh, similar. I, I would say uh, back in the early 90s in Australia, sports management was a brand new degree. Uh, in fact, we were part of the first group in Australia to ever complete uh, a business sports degree. Um, so at the time, it was quite groundbreaking in Australia. And I think it was really the, the turn uh, for the beginning of a new level of professionalism in sports in Australia. Nice. And so you had, you graduate, you stay in Australia, and you work for several sports organizations in Australia, including the Australian Hockey Association, Victorian Rugby League, and the Australian Institute of Sport. What was that experience like? Well, it was interesting. I, I started off with the Australian Institute of Sports Golf Program. And what that is, it's a development program for up-and-coming elite golfers. They're 18 and 19-year-olds. And a lot of the, the well-known Australians on the PGA and LPGA Tour are, actually came through that program. So working for the Australian Institute of Sport was really my first stint 
uh, in working with elite athletes, and it got me my love of golf, which actually was very handy later in my career as I realized a lot of sports deals are done on the golf course. It sounds very cliched, but it is reality. And so that was my first taste of uh, experiencing golf. Um, but my early career, really, I spent working with mainly state and national governing bodies for those sports. Um, my first full-time job was with the Victorian Rugby League. Um, you know, it was helping develop grassroots, uh, the sport of rugby league in the state that I lived in. And it was interesting because um, a lot of the organizations I worked in sports in Australia were very small offices, maybe four, five, up to seven people running that particular sport. And so my first taste working in a different code of football uh, was working in rugby league. And, you know, I was the only woman in the entire organization, which was an interesting start to my sports career. Uh, but, you know, it was important to me to make sure that I was getting educated on the sport. And I actually became a qualified rugby league coach uh, during my stint at, at, at rugby league. And it gave me credibility. It really um, helped overcome a lot of barriers and allowed me to um, to excel in my opportunity at the rugby league. Um, and then I had an opportunity to work for a national governing body for men's field hockey, which is actually a very popular sport in Australia, and we're very successfully uh, internationally. And at the very young age of 22, I was actually put in charge of running the operations of the National Hockey League. Um, and I also was involved in, in managing all the logistics for the national team um, in the lead up to the Atlanta Olympics. So I would say that my uh, working in sports in, early in my career, it was mainly around um, amateur and development of very grassroots. So it's quite a contrast to what I do now in the NFL. Yeah, and I think, you know, similar to that is, you know, several of our guests on 52 Weeks also have worked in like the minor league sports end. So to your point, grassroots, kind of getting your hands, you know, wet with a little bit of everything. And I think it's it's interesting to your point of whether it be golf uh, or rugby, where it may not have been a sport you grew up playing or even passionate about, but you learn the business side. And I think that's what's most important is you don't have to be a diehard fan of a sport or of a team. You just have to be passionate about your craft uh, and what you want to accomplish. Could not agree with you more, Travis. And so, Catherine, we'll get into, you know, your, kind of your fun journey in the professional sports in the United States. But, you know, I guess fast forward, you're now, you know, within those sports in the U.S. How is your experience similar or different, you know, not necessarily grassroots to professional, but more from sports in Australia to sports in the United States? Well, it's interesting. I, I worked for about six years prior to coming to the States. And I always look to the U.S. as a leader in sports. You know, professional sports in you know in the U.S. was the pinnacle of sports. Um, you know, I observed big TV audiences, huge broadcast rights. You know, the sponsorship and the creativity around sponsorship. You know, and it was more than just sports. It was entertainment and the big personalities and the famous players. So, I think it was definitely um, luring to come to the U.S. and it would. Certainly was a significant change to working in grassroots and semi-professional sports in Australia. Definitely quite a contrast. I was going to say, probably a, a lot of cool stories, certainly. And, you know, as, as you would mention, you know, when you're 22, you know, you're, you're starting to lead some teams. And as you looked at your success in Australia, and then again, we'll get into the United States, like, 
you continue to surround yourself with really good people. Like what were some characteristics that you always took pride in having to, to excel up and to be leading that team at 22 years old? And ultimately now when you're hiring people, what are some of those characteristics you're looking for in successful people? Well, firstly, I think, you know, I, I seek self-starters. Like my example with the rugby league, I didn't know about rugby league, so I went the extra step and became a qualified rugby league coach. So that really gave me the edge. I think um, that leads me to something that's really important when you're hiring is I really look for people that have intellectual curiosity. It's just a must. You know, I want people to be a student of our industry or your particular sport and and continually learning and new ways to approach a business. So if you just want to show up to work and um, punch your time card, you're not going to probably be on my team. You know, I don't want the, my staff to accept the status quo. You know, I, I want my team to ask, you know, why would we do something new? And I say, why not? And so um, I think that that yearning and that learning uh, for new ideas, I think is really important for me, and I surround myself with super smart people. But I also think one important key ingredient uh, when you're a leader in a sports organization is the concept of diversity of thought. You know, I seek new ideas, different ideas, different backgrounds. I think that's the key to building um, a successful team. I see many instances where leaders just hire mini me's. And I don't think that um, allows you to grow, firstly, as a leader, um, but it also allows you to status quo and take different opinions and ideas, which ultimately I think is to the huge benefit of your team and your organization. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I've always thought about, you know, if you're going to compete in an elite level in this business, you need to have people around you that are going to challenge you. You know, and you want to be challenged, you want to challenge other people, and that's the only way you're going to become a lead. And so completely understand. And, and so – you gathering after experiencing sports, spending your whole life in Australia, you decide to move to the United States, pursue a master's degree at UMass, which we've had Dr. Bill Sutton, who I know was a mentor and was a professor there for you. How did that come about? You know, what walk us through the the strategy of like, all right, you know what, I'm going to leave you know this country, go to a new country. What did your family think? Like, why UMass? Well. I had heard about the UMass sports program through a friend of mine, and I thought, why not? Um, so I actually only applied for UMass because I didn't realize you're actually supposed to apply for multiple programs. <laughs> and good for me and fortunate that I was accepted into the UMass program. But I essentially packed up two suitcases. I moved to the U.S., moved from an Australian mild weather climate to a New England fall. I'd never lived in a place where it snowed. Um, I definitely wasn't excited about that, hence I moved to Florida soon after. Um, but now 23, later, 23 years later, I'm, uh, I'm living the American dream and uh, working in the NFL. So it's been I, probably initially, if you'd asked me, would I be in the U.S. living permanently, uh, I would have said, you're crazy. Right. Uh, but as fate may have it, now I've been here for 23 years and um, I wouldn't change it for the world. You know, it's interesting. We've talked on 52 Weeks of Hustle, and I know a lot of leaders talk about, you know, well, hey, I want to, you know, as, as you're getting in this business, I want to stay close to home or I want to be closer to home. And, you know, and, and it's hard at times for people to understand, hey, I may move six hours away, 10 hours away, certainly not countries away. And so I guess, I guess what is your advice to those people? You know, a lot of times they want to spend close time to their, their friends, their family. You know, it sounds like you probably didn't move to the United States knowing a whole lot of people like, 
What is your advice to that? Like, how did you handle that conversation with friends and family? Look, I, I think sometimes in life you've got to take risks. And, um, you know, thank goodness for technology. I can call my family on WhatsApp or Skype or Zoom, uh, and I can stay in contact through social media and other forms. So I think, um, you know, I feel like I'm still not missing out. I'm not physically there, but I think through technology it allows me to stay in touch with my family, friends, colleagues that I've worked with over the years. I love LinkedIn. I can see what all my former colleagues and, and classmates from Deakin University are doing, and, um, you know, that makes it a lot easier. Yeah. No, I you know, one of the questions that comes up a lot in this business is, should I go get my you know master's degree right after undergrad? Should I start in the business, work for a couple of years, or even you know 15, 20 years and go back and get your master's? So you kind of went that route of you worked in Australia, you worked in a couple of professional sports leagues, then decided to get your master's. Like, why did you do that? Like, what is your advice as, as far as furthering education? Yeah, I think. Um Look, I think it just depends on circumstances. So, you know, living through, you know, what we're going on, that's going on in the world right now, it makes makes sense to go back and do your master's straight out of undergrad because the job market is a little tight right now. Um, for me, I, I found it important getting real life experience uh, and coming to the United States to do a master's degree. It was, you know, opening up my my eyes to different sports. I literally didn't know what the NCAA was until I came to UMass. And I said, what do you mean there's 20,000 people watching a college basketball game? Um, so for me, I probably got more out of doing my master's degree because I was learning a completely new sports system and completely opening my eyes to how sports operates around the world. So for me, it was tremendously valuable. Look, I think everyone's circumstances are slightly different um, right now, the current, current situation. I, I see a lot of people maybe going back and, pursuing their masters rather than jumping into the workforce. And I think that's okay. It's just depend on, you know, your different circumstances. You got to do what's best for you, right? And, you know, Absolutely. I think further in education, whether it's reading a book or going back to your masters and everything in between is, is only going to help you in life and certainly in this business. And so you, you kind of mentioned you, you moved uh, to the Northeast. Uh, there might have been a winter or two that you had to deal with, and you're like, all right, I can't do this anymore, which is a lot of people in the Northeast, and they, they end up in Florida. So you complete your degree, you move to Orlando, and you take an internship with Disney's Wide World of Sports, which uh, I know a lot of people are certainly familiar with now because of you know what's going to be happening post-COVID. But you know the, the internship ultimately leads to a full-time role. You spend six years there. So you know, again, Disney's Wide World Sports is one of the premier sites for amateur sports in the nation. It hosts over 100 events a year in more than 70 different sports. What was your day-to-day -day like there at, at Wide World of Sports? Well, it wasn't what I initially thought. I thought, well, would I see Mickey Mouse running around on a day-to-day -day basis? But I think for me, you know, moving to Orlando and, and working for an incredible um, company such as Disney – it was just a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for this little Australian to um, work for one of the biggest brands in the world. And, and that was pretty enticing and pretty exciting. Um, what, I, what I discovered when I started working for the Wide World of Sports, and I was there during the very initial years of the complex being open, was that I was really working for a sports commission. And so, um, you know, the disease Wide World of Sports acted like a sports commission. It, it focused on hosting sporting events from around the country, creating tournaments uh, for youth sports. And 
really the objective was to drive strategic revenue to Walt Disney World. So if you're bringing little Johnny down for your basketball tournament, you're staying in the Disney hotels, you're probably going to the parks with your family um, during the downtime in the tournament. So I think it was such an interesting experience for me from a day-to-day. We hosted everything from AAU tournaments to the World Paintball Championships to the National Transplant Games. So it was just such a diverse um, type of sports, traditional and untraditional. And I think it's actually pretty cool that, um, you know, the ESPN Wide World of Sports is now the host of the the NBA season restart and, and also the MLS season format that, that, that they're going to um, start in the, in the next few weeks. So I think it was fun to say I used to work there and now they're hosting. And I think, you know, safety is such an important thing, you know, quality of service and, and everything, it doesn't surprise me at all that they're, that they're hosting the NBA and MLS restarts to the season. And I'm excited for all the, all the team that still works down there and, and works on these sports. Absolutely. You know, in this business, we talk a lot about pivoting, you know, time management, efficiency. You mentioned, I mean, with the wide world of sports, there's so many different events. I think, you know, on the website, it says over 70 different sports, um, over 100 events a year. You mentioned from paintball to everything in between. Like, what is your advice? And, and looking back at your time and kind of what did you learn from that as far as time management, efficiency, prioritizing, you know, what's the, the most important task? Yeah, I think, um, well, firstly, I would say working for the one big takeaway for working for a company like Disney is just they are the leader in world-class customer service. Hands down, I think Disney has got it dialed in. And actually, a lot of NBA teams, NFL teams use Disney for their training at their stadiums, which I think makes complete sense now that I've worked in both both areas. So, you know, I think attention to detail and, and safety are just some of the, the most, uh, you know, huge takeaways from working for a company like that. And um, and I think they also uh, were great storytellers. So they would tell the story of, like, why your sports event should come here. And then, you know, that carried out throughout the theme parks when I was working in sponsorship there and how you pull that story through in your sponsorships and even bringing that to the sporting events, I think, was such a unique thing. So, you know, it's... It's such an incredible company to work for, and I, I am who I am because I had that training or ground, you know, initial career time at Disney. I think it's it's been a great um, block for my career or foundation for my career. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, from Wide World Sports, you actually go to work kind of directly with Mickey and Minnie Mouse there at Walt Disney mm-hmm. World. And you you get into that development branch of Disney and of the parks. Like, why did you make that move? What did that day-to-day look like for you? Well, I discovered working at the Wildwood Sports that I just had a passion for deal-making. I, I loved reaching out to event right holders and convincing them to move their event and host it at Disney. Uh, so when a, when a unique opportunity came up at one of the theme parks, actually specifically Epcot, Um, I jumped into the chance to transition to business development and I had this passion to to work in sponsorship. That was my, it was exciting. And it was, I was very nervous to quite frankly, to leave sports and and to work in a non-sporting environment. But I think the skill set that I learned working in a park and uh, working with brands and international companies all around the world and, you know, having them come and experience 
Epcot and create sponsored ex experiential experiences was just such an incredible experience. I literally traveled the world because um, Epcot is an international themed park. Um, my travels took me to Botswana, Spain, Canada, uh, South Africa, Australia, like so many different experiences and, and working with um, Imagineers, which if you're not familiar with the Walt Disney World Imagineers are the creative brains uh, behind all the theme parks, the rides, the, the creative. Working with them on a day-to-day -day basis to create sponsored experiences in the parks was just incredible and going through that creative process. So it really, it really um, helped me uh, in my transition to professional sports in allowing me to figure out new and innovative ways to um, tell a story of a client or a brand in a very untraditional way, not just slapping signs up all around your stadium or your venue. It was creating a story and, and making it more impactful. And I think that was um, such an incredible opportunity. And I just fell in love with business development and working in sponsorship. Nice. And, and, and if I were a betting man, I'm betting that a lot of these listeners are going on to Disney right now to see if there's still a job that may help them world travel uh, as we get through <laughs> this. So it uh, sounds like an amazing experience. You counted on restaurants. Now they're counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you the food you're craving right to your door. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app. Choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off setting. Choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. Many of your local restaurants are still open for delivery, too. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local spot, and your food is on its way. Right now, our listeners get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code BLUEWIRE. Sunday, Sunday, Sundays are coming back in the NFL. With NFLSundayTicket.tv, you can stream every live out-of-market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices. Plus, Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels never miss your favorite teams and favorite players. No matter where you live, NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use code BLUEWIRE. Again, we're here at 52 Weeks of Hustle. The guest today, Catherine Carlson, the Senior Vice President of Revenue and Strategy for the Philadelphia Eagles of the NFL. And, you know, Catherine, many of our listeners have either worked in other industries or have certainly thought about, you know, they started in, in sports, maybe working in another industry outside of sports or vice versa. And, and so what would be your advice to listeners on how to transition, you know, working in a different industry into that sport, you know, into the industry of sport? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I took the leap from working from a big brand like Disney uh, into professional sports. And, and I'm not going to lie, there was, there was a steep learning curve. There's no doubt, um, you know. I knew the concept of selling multi-million dollar deals in a theme park and brand perspective, but jumping into uh, working for pro sports, there, there was definitely a steep learning curve in the fact that a lot of rules and um, guidelines that, that the NFL, at that time, the NBA uh, and the way deals were done and the speed of deals, the average deal at Disney took 18 months to two years, but the payoff was significant. I would say when I jumped into uh, 
the best example I have is when I started the Magic, it was the year we went to the NBA Finals against the Lakers in 08, 09. I'll never forget, we we were working on a naming rights for our playoff series. Uh, it was actually the company Bright House at the time. We agreed to a deal Monday. We had the deal terms Tuesday. By Wednesday, we had the contract, and by Thursday, we had the um, the press release, and we were up and running. That, my friend, was an incredibly refreshing experience because no I, you know, working there. At, yeah, working at Disney, you know, we took great care and time with our partnerships, and they were pretty significant. So that was a pretty interesting learning curve, jumping from that to a more uh, much higher speed. Of, yep. and a pace of deals. So, um, look, I think there's a lot of transferable skills. Um, you know, I think there are many different skills that can help you to be successful in in the sports air arena. You don't have to come from sports. Yeah, no, absolutely. And the learning curve might be a little steeper. That's there all. is certainly a learning curve, right? And, you know, I think that's kind of the what your career has been, right? You, you talked about a learning curve from, from Australia to the United States, getting your master's learning curve, getting into, you know, Orlando and that Disney market. You spend over 10 years in, under kind of the Disney umbrella, over a decade living and working in the United States. You, you, may, you mentioned there, you make the move to the NBA to the Orlando Magic. Um, now, some may think, you know, very well that in Orlando, Disney's right there in your backyard and they work pretty close together. You know, is there any truth to, to the, you know, is that how that partnership came about? Like, how did that role come about within corporate partnerships with the Magic? Um, I was recruited uh, by the Orlando Magic uh, about the year before we opened the Amway Center. And one of the... Um, one of the key things that the Magic were looking for is how do we get away from just old models of sponsorship? And I think my experience at Disney provided a unique and different perspective um, moving into a new stadium. You only have one chance to move into a, one, a new stadium. And, you know, this is probably 14 years ago. You know, there wasn't a lot of stadiums that had all digital signage that, you know, we had the opportunity to start from scratch a stadium. And so... I, you know, I brought a little Disney magic and a little Disney storytelling to the Amway Center. And so that was a unique skill that I brought to the table at the magic. And so the transition was quite, quite seamless in that aspect. Um, I think the there was always a relationship between the magic and the Disney, you know, with a hometown team, you know, there was always that, that relationship, but it wasn't until the Jersey patch sponsorship came about, um, about three years ago that we um, really brought the, the brands closer together. And uh, I think, you know, having worked on both sides, it, it was great that I was at the helm helping to navigate that deal to have Disney as the first jersey patch for the Orlando Magic. But I because I, un, I understood both sides of the business. But I can tell you, it was probably one of the most um, challenging contracts to, to come to fruition. But the payoff was incredible and it was really a mutually beneficial agreement between our two brands. And I truly think we were able to give each other um, mutually beneficial benefits that, um, that are still uh, relevant to this day, which I'm excited to see continue. Yeah, to see certainly it was a great partnership and probably a little bit of a softball question for you. Cause that, that's the thing I was always asked, whether it be personal or professional, like, Oh, I'm coming to Orlando. Can I go to Disney? And it's like, they're kind of in their own little world. It's 45 minutes, an hour away. And then, you know, certainly on the professional end of like, oh, can we dive into Disney? No, like they're, they're their own beast down there. And so, you know, it, it's good to see the partnership come to fruition. And, 
you know, Catherine, like, you know, throughout your time, you know, there in, in the partnership world, uh, you guys were certainly able to win a lot of NBA awards during your time there. What made you and your team so successful in a tough market? You know, and, and certainly in, in the Orlando market, you mentioned the finals, but then after that and after the new arena kind of wore off, the team hasn't, the team hasn't and wasn't playing that well. So what made you guys so successful? Well, I think um, it's very different if you haven't worked in a mid-sized market. So Orlando is the 17th largest market in the U.S. And so you're always at the top of the pile when a brand is looking to partner with an NBA team. You know, they look at some of the large top, you know, top five markets, Boston, Chicago, you know, New York, L.A. And so, you know, because of that, we had to be more innovative, more creative, and we had to work extra, extra hard to gain the attention of the big brands. Um, and so, you know, I think the Magic were incredible, and I think a leader in sports analytics. We were very, as you know, working there yourself. Um, you know, we were heavy on analytics, um, and my focus was also building deep relationships with all our partners. Uh, and I think that was the key to our success. Um, you know, I, I, I'm just such a strong believer of that, especially when you're in a market where there's only one Fortune 500 company. Right. You don't have that luxury of churn and burn like some cities. Like, oh, all right, this car dealer doesn't want to work with us. Okay, we'll go on to the next Locker one. And so for us, we truly valued partnership and we um, strived every day to create incremental opportunities to be innovative, to provide ROI. And I think it really, uh, you know, held us in in a great position when we were renewing clients and attracting new clients. We had great case studies of how we worked with our clients. So it, 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 it was a little scrappy and a little greedy, but the goal really was we had to be, we had to out-innovate, out-be more creative than other teams and other markets that had different appeals. Yeah, and I think that's a great piece of advice is you, you've got to be innovative no matter what you do and, and wherever you are. It's, it's certainly, you know, kind of keeping up with the Joneses and a lot of times staying ahead of them. And, you know, earlier, Catherine, you'd mentioned, you know, uh, of some of the characteristics you're looking for, like intellectual, you know, curiosity. Uh, and you've hired and trained and developed a lot of people. And you know, a lot of our listeners may have started in sales and you know, are looking to start in, you know, ticketing sales or premium sales. And then ultimately they're going to get to that point of like, okay, do I want to stay in the hospitality end or do I want to go to the corporate partnership route? So over the years, what are you, what would you say are some of the big adjustments, some of those team members that, that make, when they make the transition from ticketing or hospitality to corporate sales, what are some of those big adjustments they should be thinking about? Yeah, I think the biggest adjustment, and I've seen several staff be successful and several not be successful. And I think the transition from ticketing to corporate partnership sales, um, it requires a transition from transactional selling to completely customized um, selling. And also I would tell you that the shorter sales cycle in ticket sales uh, compared to corporate sales um, can sometimes be frustrating for someone who's used to like I want to pitch it, I want an answer, and let's go. Um, yeah. I think there's a closer alignment between premium sales, so more the B2B sales um, to corporate, than there is from straight ticket sales. Um, I, I do think that's an adjustment because, as I said, alluded to earlier, some of our deals, you know, especially when I was at Disney, they, the average deal took 18 months 
So you have to have patience. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes that's tough when you've been in a transactional environment where you're making, you know, 100 calls a day and you, you know, let's go, let's hit my numbers. Sometimes, it, you know, the reality it may take six months to a year or maybe you don't have success the first time. In three years' time, you pick up the phone and call that client again. So I think that's the biggest challenge and, and having patience is uh, such a virtue you need to have in corporate sales. No, absolutely. And so you, you mentioned you spend over 10 years there at the Magic, ultimately becoming the Senior Vice President of Corporate Partnerships and Premium Activation. You've now lived in Orlando almost 20 years. You got used to probably the warm weather. Uh, and then you decided to make the move to Philadelphia, where you're at now. Why, why was that the right time? I know, you know, in talking to you in the past, like you had other opportunities that you turned down. You stayed with the Magic. The Eagles came knocking. You know, what intrigued you most about that opportunity in the NFL? Well, I, I definitely think after 11 years of the Magic, I will always speak fondly of my time with the Magic. I learn a lot. I have lifelong friends at that organization. I think when the Eagles came knocking, it was it was an incredible opportunity um, to run all of revenue and strategy for an NFL team. It was a pretty compelling opportunity that I had to at least, uh, you know, at least have the conversation. Um, yeah. And when I did have the conversation, I was really impressed with the ownership and the president of the Eagles. Uh, and the other key factor was I was really amazed to see that the majority of senior leadership at the Eagles were women. I, I'll never forget the I saw that, you know, a couple, uh, a month or so ago about, you know, uh, the, the women, you know, leaders of the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah, it's the real deal. Uh, you know, my first leadership meeting, I, I report to the president, I walk in and there's four women and, two men around the table. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> this is uh, not what I was expecting. And so it, it sounded like an, um, an incredible opportunity for me to, um, you know, to try something new. And also it didn't hurt that the Eagles were a very successful franchise and had probably just come off a Super Bowl win. So certainly makes your job as head of revenue a little easier. Um, but then the other influencing factor is my husband, and you always have to balance things in life. I'm going to yes, transplant my balance. husband and my family. His company was based, uh, had a base here in Philadelphia, and it just really worked out well where we were both able to um, transplant here um, without missing a beat, and that was definitely a huge influencing factor outside of the opportunity itself. <laughs> It's all those other factors I mean, that, right? that weighed that, into my decision was just, it just, the stars aligned. And as a result, I say goodbye to some incredible people at the Magic, um, but a new door opened and now, you know, I am incredibly honored to work for um, the Eagles franchise. Yeah, it's certainly a lot about timing and balancing, you know, that the pros and cons of personal and professional decisions. And so I, I feel like I have to ask you this question. You, you mentioned when you're in UMass, you kind of got sick of the cold. Uh, Philadelphia is not Florida by any means. So how was that first winter for you and your husband and your kids? Well, fortunately for me, it was a mild winter. <laughs> uh, so we didn't get as much snow as I'd, everyone was telling me. I think the biggest adjustment was attending an outdoor sport in December when it's literally snowing and you're on the field with clients. I mean, it was cold. I have invested in multiple very warm jackets, and um, I traveled with the team every game this past year, so um, experienced 
terrible cold in uh, in the, at the Buffalo game, and um, Minnesota were lucky it was an indoor stadium, but uh, it, I, it was an adjustment, I'm not going to lie. No, I can imagine. So, you know, you've been with the Eagles, you know, over a year now. What has been the biggest difference between, you know, working in the NFL and the NBA? You know, obviously the game is one thing. You, you go from, you know, home games, you know, 10 to, to 44, you know, home games. But outside of that, what's been the biggest difference? Yeah, apart from the shorter season, which uh, is certainly an attractive uh, factor, I think the sh- what I didn't realize is the sheer power of the NFL and specifically the Eagles brand um, here in this market. It is just on Sunday. I mean, I looked at the TV ratings the first week I got to the Eagles and, you know, household, 60% of households are watching the game on a Sunday. It, it's just the city bleeds green and uh, it's really interesting to see the passion and how that translates to the business. Um, you know, people want to be associated with the Eagles. It does drive your business. Um, you know, our trademarks and IP are quite valuable. Um, and it, so that's been the big difference is really having that, that strength in the brand. Um, Orlando was a little transient, so you had to fight for the fans. And, uh, yeah, so that, that aspect is just very different. A lot of transplants in Orlando always had a second team. Right. So 99% of the time they were Magic fans, except when the Celtics came or except when the 76ers okay. came to town. And so that here that's just not the case. It's Eagles or go home. So uh, I think that's been a big difference, just the power of the NFL brand and what it can, uh, how it can translate to business for the clients and partners that I work with. Absolutely. And Catherine, you know, throughout your experience, whether it be with the NFL, the NBA, Disney, you know, you've serviced and sold a lot of high-end accounts, multi-year deals, big partnerships. So, you know, what is your advice on, you hear a lot about on the service end of trying to go above and beyond the call of duty for each of your customers, but what is an advice you have of, of regardless of who you're servicing, whether you're servicing a, a smaller plan or a big corporate sponsor that, you know, is spending multi-million dollars a year? Look, I, I think you need to listen to the client. Um, I, I don't think there's a lot of difference between your smaller client and your larger clients. Um, I do believe that the smaller clients is probably a larger percentage of their marketing budget than the, the larger clients. So details matter. Um, Sometimes your smaller clients are your, are your most, um, you have to spend a lot of time with them because it's such a big part of their marketing budget. But overall, you should treat your clients, um, you know, you're going to be an extension of their company. You, you need to be their agency. You need to help through your assets and the team. How do you drive their business? And if you can solve for that, the servicing becomes easier. Um, so I, I think it, it doesn't differ, I think, the 80-20 rule, you're probably going to spend more time with your significant clients, which makes complete business sense. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think less is more. And, you know, I like to focus on the larger deals because it, it's, it makes the most sense. And the, just the numbers it, it speaks as well. Speaks for itself, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, and Catherine, what a, what a great career and a fun journey, you know, again, from, from working in, in sports in not only different multiple leagues here in the United States, but, you know, multiple different countries. And, uh, a ton of great insights, so certainly appreciate that. And to close it out here on 52 Weeks Hustle, I like to put the guests on the hustle hot seat. So you ready for this? All right, I'm ready. All right, so Catherine, what is your favorite item you've purchased this year? 
Well, given the fact that I've been working at home for the past three months, <laughs> I splurged and bought a hydro, which you may ask, what is a hydro? That's is, my, that was my next question. Yes. Hydro is the peloton of rowing. Uh, it has a different word. There's thousands of workouts that you can do. And so I splurged and bought a hydro, which keeps me in shape because I think a lot of people are talking about the COVID-19, the COVID-19 pounds that everyone's putting on and working. It goes multiple different ways. I know Correct. That so this is, my, this is my counter to that, and it gives me a little break from the, you know, being at your desk yep. and at your house. So Have you always my, been a rower? No, I haven't. I've never rode in my life, and it's just been a really – I really enjoy it. It's something different, uh, and it's a fun way to exercise. Nice. That, that's certainly not the answer I was expecting, but now <laughs> I better believe I'm going to be going here and Googling that and seeing what those are all about. So there you go. if you were a superhero, what would your superpower be and why? Well, firstly, I would be Wonder Woman for a lot of reasons, okay. um, but I like the fact um, – that she deflects a lot of things with her cuffs on her <laughs> in her outfit. Um, you know, I feel like um, we have to to sometimes deflect the challenges that life and, and work throws at you, and uh, I think that would be um, a fun superpower to have. Nice. No, I love it. And, and finally, you know, I'm not sure if you watch reality TV. Do you, I guess first, do you watch reality TV? I've been known to indulge. <laughs> so if you were uh, to be on any reality TV show, which one would you choose to be on? Hands down Shark Tank. And I'll tell you why. Working in sales, if you can figure out how to tell your story, explain why your product is something that, you, that Mark Cuban and Co. should invest in, then I think – You've succeeded in sales, and I probably would be way too nervous to be on that show, but uh, I think just the concept of that quick pitch and that storytelling just appeals to me, and I love seeing how companies and, and startups uh, pitch their product uh, to, the, to the venture capitalists or the VC group, and I, I think it's, uh, it's incredible. That's great. You know, you mentioned when you were talking about your experience at Disney, the, the value and the benefit of storytelling. And you're absolutely right, Shark Tank, it's a show I love. And, you know, probably just like you and every listener, once I watch it and I see this, I'm like, why didn't I think of that? I could be on there. I could be, you know, printing money at that point. But uh, so, so to close it out, Catherine, what are your three key takeaways you would give every listener to be in your shoes one day? Number one, uh, Number one thing is passion. You've got to have passion at what you do. You may not be your ideal sport or ideal job, but you've got to have passion. You know, we all work in sports. It's long hours, and you've got to do a lot of different things. But if you don't have a passion around, you need to start looking somewhere else. Um, and then I would say um, perseverance. Don't ever give up. You may not get your ideal job first time out of college, but I, I do think – Perseverance is important. Um, you know, if I had listened to my first professor at Deakin University, he said something in my early, uh, early classes. He said, half of you in this room will have to work twice as hard to get half as far. And I'm thinking, what on earth is he speaking? What is he talking about? And he met the women in the room. And I think um, if I had listened to him, I wouldn't be where I am today. I have perseverance. And I think along with that goes taking risks. Sometimes you just got to take risks, get out of your comfort zone, 
because you may learn something or it takes you down a path that leads you to something super cool. And I feel like that has been my journey. Your your career ladder doesn't have to be vertical. It can be sideways. It can take you into a different industry, but ultimately lead you to where you want to be. And so don't be afraid to take that sideways uh, step. And then I think, you know, I think I've said it before. I just think being a student of the industry is just so critical. Like, be passionate. Read Sports Business Journal every day. Just read, read, learn things. Read books about if you want to be better at sales, read different sales approaches. Yeah. Read books. Um, I, I can't emphasize that enough. If, if you're not learning, then you need to change industries or, or move on roles because you, you always should be learning and, and continuing to better yourself. I love it. And I think, you know, for those listeners of, of 52 Weeks of Hustle, heard all of that. You know, they heard the passion in your voice throughout this entire time, not only a passion for your craft, but a passion for you know, how you want to continue to excel, the perseverance, the taking risks. I mean, you, know, you, you moved to a different country, you know, you moved to, you know, to, to start your new journey and new career. And, you know, you took a risk from moving from, you know, the Disney, which is a great brand to professional sports and now from the NBA, the NFL, and, and certainly you focus on student of the game. You know, we even talked about, and you mentioned Dr. Bill Sutton uh, and having the, the continuous conversations with him and mentors. That's just being a student. So, you know, Catherine, uh, thank you so much for your time. You certainly have had a great career, a fun journey. It's been a pleasure talking to you and certainly appreciate all of your advice. Thank you, Travis. It was a pleasure to be on today. Well, again, this is Travis Apple, and thank you for listening to 52 Weeks of Hustle presented by Event Dynamic. Please be sure to follow the podcast and watch on YouTube. We're also on Twitter and Instagram, so follow us at 52 Weeks of Hustle. We'll be back next week with another industry leader. Have a great week. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook expert.